Hello, you guys, and welcome to It's Real with Jordan and Demi. Today we have Callum Scott on the show, and you may recognize him from Britain's Got Talent, but um, he's done a lot since then, and we're going to talk his new album, Bridges, out now. So let's get to it, all the way from Yorkshire. Callum! <laughs> let's go. It's so funny, because a lot of American people will say Yorkshire, and it makes it sound like I'm a hobbit, you know, from like <laughs> from Lord of the Rings. Lord, you know, like um, from Lord of the Rings, there's these things called the Hobbits, and they're from they're from the Shire. So oh. Americans say Yorkshire. It sounds like it sounds like I'm from Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah, you like that, or is that like um? Do you like when people bring up your accent at all? Yeah, yeah. Either my accent or people will uh, refer to me as Caleb. Caleb. That's like I understand that because that's how it, people call Callum in America is usually pronounced Caleb. So I get it. Um, but my uh, my grandma, if she was still here, would not not be happy. She was specific when I was born, and my mum was like, "I want to call him Callum." My grandma was like, "Let's make sure we spell it with one L." Callum. Yeah. So earlier was like, "By the way, it's Callum," and I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> this whole thing so my first late night show i did with seth myers so i it was like the first late night tv in america i was like super pumped for it i was like, really excited and uh and he gave this incredible like speech about you know dance on my own and all these streams and ladies and gentlemen the incredible caleb scott and I was oh like, no seth and then i performed the song and then luckily we went back and was like oh could we just do that other big again. You can do that, yeah. Even on these big TV shows, they still... yeah, yeah. Well, it's yeah. all the same. It's all the same. The songs are still the same, you know. So it's all good. Well, I want to take a little time machine back in time with you right now, okay? And get to like the depths of who you are. Okay. Um, let's take a time machine. Ready? Okay, I'm ready. Okay, we are with you. In grade school, what kind of kid were you? Like, tell us about all the nitty gritty. Oh, I was like a bit of a, I wouldn't say a recluse. I was, I was kind of quiet. So that's why when I fast forward to now, it's quite mad that now I stand on a stage and address wow. sometimes thousands of people at once. It's quite a change from how I was as a kid, but I was like quite a quiet kid. I wanted to be like most kids, wanted to be liked, wanted to be, you know, respected by by my peers and my schoolmates and stuff. Um, but actually, I had got involved with a group of boys who uh, were skateboarders. So yeah. I was being like a bit of a skater. Oh, no, not the skateboard boys. Yeah, I was a skater kid. I listened to a lot of Blink-182 and some 41 and did all that crazy stuff. So, yeah, I was a, a skateboarder kid for a while. I was a drummer as well in school. Um, so, I, yeah, it was it was quite funny. I kind of, I played, I played in a, I guess, a sport. I guess you call it a sport that was quite individual in terms of, you know, skateboarding is an individual thing, and then um, drumming is at the back of the at the back of the stage. You know, making noise, but you know, being quite far back. So it is weird that now my personality, my career, is very much at the front of the stage, visible. You know, uh, you know, a, a, a person in the public eye. Like it's just a, 
a very massive change from what I expected as a kid, to be fair. Were you a good skateboarder? Because I know whenever I see skateboard boys, there was like taping each other. Was that you with like the VHS and doing the flips? Yeah, a little videos? bit. A little bit. I mean, I'm 33 now. So that when I was skateboarding, I was what, like 14, 15? So we're talking like 17, 18 years ago. So you yeah, so that was... Group, like, were you feeling like an outcast sort of because you were an artist deep down and you're kind of hanging out with all these boys that are probably like just not that you know well you know like my starting music was kind of accidental in a way so like i've, I've always loved music but when i was a kid I, I had an enjoyment of music but i never really took it seriously because i suppose i don't know if i'm from a, it's from a northern city in in the uk or whatever but it's a lot more like get a real job kind of thing, mm -hmm. you know. So the arts and stuff is 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 celebrated and is enjoyed, but I think, you know, there's that mentality of like, oh well, you know, yeah, but you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to make a lot of money from that because I think people disconnect the all of the middle ground of like you're either a star or you're a superstar. Mm -hmm. There's all that middle ground where you can be somebody who writes for film or you can be somebody who just writes music or somebody who composes or somebody who's a session player. There's like all these, as soon as you grow up, you realize that there's all these different facets to music as a career. Um, but I, you know, as a, when I was younger, I just did, it was probably the same as my parents, just didn't think of a, of a route of how I could be making money from music. So I just did it as a hobby. And then I was a skateboarder. I was a drummer. I thought it was quite cool, you know. And then I, when I was leaving school, I saw a couple of my friends leaving school and making money, like in jobs. And I was like, mm -hmm. ooh, that looks fun because they can afford a car now and afford like going on a holiday on their own. So, yeah, I ended up like leaving school and just getting a, a, a scholarship in IT and then getting a job and then I got made permanent uh, six months into the job. So I was, and then I'd stayed there for eight years before we'd applied for Britain's Got Talent. So hmm. yeah, so it was kind of like school and then work life and then my dreams came true after that, which was bizarre. It's so interesting when some of our artists that come on the show have had complete like lives before um, their success. We had Everclear on the show not long ago, and he literally, I mean, Platinum Records, you know, like everyone's favorite rock band, had a whole life and and um, a wife and a kid before he reached like his 30s and decided like he needs to take this seriously, and then he did, and it was like, it blew up. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, so more about, um, you know. I think there's a cons to that as well, by the way, Demi. I think I think there's pros and cons to that. Like in my experience, yeah, like in my experience, I just feel like I, I don't know. I feel like I have more gratitude mm. because of the fact that I've waited a little bit longer. And that's not to say anything about young pop stars or, or, or people who get into the music industry younger. I just think from personal experience, there's something about living a normal life, which sets you up better for a career like this, because Somebody asked me the other day, like, you know, how did you prepare being to be famous? And I'm like, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a tough question because it's like, it, how how can you prepare for that? Like, mm -hmm. how can you prepare for suddenly, you you know, you're on a show and then all of a sudden you're 
you know, there's tons of people wanting to know about your life and about your, you know, about your your music and what you do, and then your personal relationships and your past. And it's like, it's just not, I don't know, it's weird. It's like, you, as humans, I don't think we're designed to be able to cope with that very well, if that makes sense. Um, but then again, you know, young people who get into the industry have that drive and ambition and and can dream big and all that kind of stuff. So I suppose like it's, there's pros and cons to it, but I just think in my personal experience, I'm glad that I did all the daft stuff and, you know, went out to the clubs and all that kind of stuff first before I got into this career, because I take this more seriously now. And, you know, I, I look at it and go, well, I don't, you know, I, I'm under no illusion that this isn't a permanent thing where I am entitled to be here and I'll always be yeah. here. Yeah. will always love me. I, I don't think like that. I always look at performances like if this is the last album I make, I need it to be incredible. And so that's why the second album took a lot longer or this performance that I do, it's got to be as if it's my last performance I, I give. And that's why I lost my voice on this last one with the script because I'm just doing everything I possibly can because I'm under the, I'm not under an illusion that this is, you know, this is always here to stay. Like, you know, if some people, if if enough people just go, I don't really like Callum Scott anymore. No, my career's gone. So I, I just, I, I try to be very realistic. Do you ever, you know, some some people that experience um, the success you've had and and things like that, kind of wish they could kind of go back. Do you ever miss just kind of like the normal routine, the consistency of kind of not being in the music industry? Yeah, I mean. It was funny, I was talking to my mum about this when we were driving back from London last night, and I said, it's really weird because before that uh, Britain's Got Talent audition, for example, that was when I noticed the biggest change in my life. It, it, it almost went from, you know, me being a, a, a very normal guy working in a human resources office with dreams to having my dream realised overnight. And... I think from when I when I got that Sam when I got Simon Cowell's Golden Buzzer that was filmed in the January and it didn't air until the March. So from January until March was the last three months of my life that were kind of normal, but knowing that things was going to change, it was weird because I like those three months went by like that because I was like wishing the time away. I wanted to get on the show again. I wanted to see what the next chapter held. But those last three months were the last three months that things were going to be normal for me, you know. And I used the analogy with my mum yesterday that I said to my mum, like, you know, with my nephew, uh, Oliver, there's going to be a, a time, there's going to be a time when we, when we're holding him and we put him back down on the floor and we never pick him up again. Because it's like, you know, he gets big and he turns into a young boy. and he just, Oh, the analogy. You know what I mean? So like that, that kind of thing where you don't realise that's the last time you've put him down, but that'll be it. And it's the same thing with my career. It's like those three months, I didn't realise at the time, but those were the last three months of sort of normal life before things blew up for me. And then I look back, you know, like so me and my mum just literally just been for lunch at a cafe and the lady came over and she was like, oh my God, you know, I don't suppose I can have a picture with you. And like, you know, and, and I love it. And, I, and I'm so grateful that people want to want to come up and talk to me and tell me about how they love my music or what I do or whatever. But it's never been, it's never been, it's been like that ever since the, the show, I guess. 
And sometimes I, I do think it'd be nice to, you know, it. Well, I say it'd be nice to, to not be recognised. I'm in this really lovely spot where I think I've got a balance of I can go out, I can sell sell out shows and I can perform on TV and have, you know, this amazing reaction. But I can also go shopping and not be, you know, it's not like Justin Bieber, like that mm-hmm. podcast anywhere oh, without security, right? or without some sort of disguise. Whereas I'm, I found that really nice balance. Um so I, it, I, sometimes I think like, oh, yeah, it would be cool to just, you know, kind of go about my business and whatever. But in the same vein, I feel like I've struck a really great balance of just being a normal guy. Like I, I don't tend to sort of think myself too much of myself and that comes across my personality and in my performances. And I think people, people like that. Yeah, people, people just see me as of, of one of their own. So it's kind of like it's, it's nice. I found a nice rhythm with it, you know? What would you say, like, the maybe more darker sides of the success, like, is for you and that you maybe struggle with right now? Uh, I think definitely one thing that I'm really nervous about is that, of course, I've got this world tour coming up. I'm extremely excited about it. But it does mean spending a lot of time away from my hometown, the people I love. And that's a struggle that I've had all the way through this business because, you know, like I said, I had a, you know, a relatively normal life and was, you know, living in Yorkshire. My family and friends live here. So it was weird to just suddenly go from being surrounded by people who I'd known all, if not most of my life to, you know, being in countries I'd never been in before with a brand new team of people. And I'm a home bird. Like I love my friends. I love my family. I'm very proud of where I'm from. And so, like, being away from people can be quite uh, – can get me in quite a low spot. And so that's why I try and bring out friends and family. Me and my mum were just reminiscing about when I brought her out to Dubai. No, oh, um, you were into Dubai. It was so cool as well because I, like, I brought her out and I was like, oh, I might bring you on stage. And she was like, you dare bring me on <laughs> Did you do it? Well, I was like I, like, I saw her side of the stage and I was like – I said that. Uh, I said, oh, guys, um, I brought my my mum here to Dubai and everybody right. cheered. And there were like 20,000 people. <laughs> and so I was like, if you cheer loud enough, she might come out. And I turned around to look at my I would mom. kill you. <laughs> I just had heard them all, all for the whole show. And then she like poked her head out and she waved and everyone was like, rah. No, no. <laughs> yeah, that was really funny. But like, that's what I, that's, that for me feels like I'm bringing home with me, which, which kind of, helps with that issue um but also just your sometimes your mind just gets the better of you and like you know I'm one of those guys that I get a lot of imposter syndrome I get a lot of like anxieties about you know are people gonna turn up to the shows do people like my music am I relevant anymore like all of those kind of like paranoid kind of thoughts um unless I unless I keep regular check of my mental health it can get the better of me Yes, I was going to ask you about, you're an advocate for mental health. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of what comes with, I guess, I mean, look at the, look at the, this, you know, everyone's favorite pop stars, Britney Spears. I mean, they've gone through so much and it kind of just, you guys are under a lot of pressure and yeah. no one really knows, no one really kind of understands the kind of pressure it is to constantly have to sell yourself and it's like, even though you are the brand, it's like 
it's a lot for a person to feel like they're a brand. It's like, it, it can literally confuse you. Like, yeah, 100%. Like, oh, I'm the brand? Oh, but you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I struggle with it a lot. And you know what? What I'm do saying? you do to like stay in check? You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, and I'm, you know, I know quite a few people in the industry that, that struggle exactly the same. I think we all do. Yeah, we yeah. all feel under that pressure. We all, you know, we're all worried about you know, what happens next? What do people think of us? You know, like you said, you, you have to do things that you don't necessarily always enjoy to do. Um, you know, and sometimes that feels like you're, you know, like selling parts of yourself and, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes that can be soul destroying, especially when it comes down to something that you feel very strongly about, or, you know, you have an artistic view on or whatever. Sometimes it feels like, you know, you're having to sort of choose your battles and that can be, that can be tough because at the end of the day, it's your name above the above the door, and it's you know it all comes down on you. And I think you've got to be able to to take that responsibility. And sometimes you know you're taking responsibility for other people. But I think you know for me personally, I I do I have people around me, especially when I'm home, that I know fully have my best interests at heart and would fully support me. So I I always think. When it's when something goes on in the industry, or if something goes on in my team, or you know something happens that that I'm not happy about, the last thing I'm going to do is have a big rant and rave about it, you know, to to that person, or you know, I I just don't think it's helpful to 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 be upset with the industry to the industry. So I I always like come back to my friends and my family. And that's where I'll complain and moan and and get upset or get angry. Like that's for me is a safe space, which you know isn't going to exacerbate. Because I always look at situations like like Twitter, for example. Not that I'm bashing, not that I'm bashing that platform, but it just can be a it can be a bit hateful in my mm-hmm. experience. And I think sometimes you feel so strongly about what somebody had said that you feel that you want to defend something Mm -hmm. in defending it. All you do is create more problems because people jump onto that. And, you know, some people have, you know, with all the respect in the world, some people are are, are pretty hateful online with the safety and security of knowing that they're anonymous. Right. So I think, you know, I almost feel like if you're going to make a profile of anything online, it needs to be attached to your ID. No, like you can't make a profile. It's not your name. Hundred one, two, three, four, five, X, Y, Z, two, one. Yeah. You have to be your thing. Be accountable. Stop hiding behind these fake profiles, people. Right. Back to the time machine, though. Let's talk about the weeks leading up to the show. How did you prepare to be on the show? Well, I guess I the same. You know, the same thing. Like, I just, I just didn't see the result coming, so I didn't. I didn't. I suppose me and my sister, my sister was the one who discovered that I had a voice, right? So I used to sing in my shower, in my bedroom, thinking I was on my own. Mm-hmm. She overheard me a couple of times and she decided to take it upon herself to put me in a competition. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to tell you what, but I wasn't happy. Because <laughs> um, I'm still that drummer kid, you know, back of the back of the stage kid, you know, I'm, I'm that guy. So when when she had auditioned us for like local competitions, I remember the very first time I went on stage, I 
was so nervous I tried to escape out of a bathroom window. That didn't no, happen. Oh, really? So, oh, yeah, yeah. And it was only in front of like 15, 20 people, but it felt like the whole world was watching. But when I sang, I sang a Paolo Natini song called Last Request. And I remember it was the first time I'd ever sung in public. And at the end of that performance, I just fell in love with performing live. I just had this overwhelming feeling of like just ecstasy, just like that kind of, I imagine the same thing as when you are presented with your newborn, just that overwhelming sense of like, oh my God, like this is purpose. This feels like real purpose. So anyway, long story short, we, we, we auditioned for a couple of shows, X Factor here in the UK, we didn't get through. And then I had started, uh, I started in a tribute band. I started in a, a Maroon 5 tribute band. Maroon 4, right? Maroon 4. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, quite happy being Maroon 4. And we would like, tour mm -hmm. up and down the country and we were about to like blow up. And then my sister was like, let's audition for Britain's Got Talent. And I was like, do you know what? Like, I'm, I've done the X Factor thing. I put all my hopes and dreams into it. It didn't work. I, I kind of, I'm cool with my band now. Like, I, I want to do that. She's like, yeah, but it's different. And, you know, please, it'd be really cool. I really want to do it. And so I was like, right, I've got to be the big brother in this situation and, and support her. So, yes, I'd rehearsed Dance On My Own and we'd rehearse songs together in case we were asked. We had rehearsed other songs that, that, that you know, up-tempo ones, slow ones, whatever, so that we had a selection. But other than that, that's the only preparation I did. And then when we went there, again, it was the same thing. It's like we was having interviews just like everybody else. And then we went side of stage and I watched her go on and she didn't get in. She didn't get through. And for a second now, I was like, oh, we didn't see this coming. Like, what, what happens next? What about, like, you know, how how can I go on stage after she's just been told no by Simon Cowell? Like, how am I supposed to impress the guy who, at this moment in time, I hate for making my yeah. sister cry. Mm -hmm. So that it was a really confusing situation, but we ended up, you know, Jade came off, we had a hug, I went out, went on with all of this emotion. And I think that's what's captivated people is that it's a real family under real pressure and very real emotion coming out. And I think any time that you see a performance where there's, you know, there's a real sincerity to it, people just gravitate to it. And I think that's why, you know, people still message me saying, oh my God, I've just seen this Britain's Got Talent audition. It's incredible. I'm like, it's crazy that people are only still just discovering it. But, you know, it's, it's cool. And it's a part of my journey. And, you know, I've had my debut album out. I've now got my second album out, you know, and so it's, it's cool that people are joining me for the next chapters of my, of my career and when people know that i've got new music all of a sudden it's like oh my god i'm gonna listen to this whole album and yeah it's cool it's cool that it's gone from a moment that i couldn't prepare for to you know being signed by capital records a label that i love you know with with two records under my belt you know it's it's a pretty considering i didn't prepare for it i've done all right <laughs> speaking of capital records you have a new album out bridges yes i feel like every artist they release an album they release a project and each one of them is like their baby it's like it's special each one is special in a different way what about this album is special to you in your own different way i think this album is, is special because it feels for me like my like coming of age album so to speak mm -hmm. i think the first album 
you know, like we were just saying there about being on Britain's Got Talent, I was just caught up in this incredible, like, roller coaster of, of emotions. It was like a dream come true. And that dream come true carried on, like, when I released Dance on My Own independently. Then then that caught the attention of, of record labels around the world. I, I visited and, you know, I'd, I'd sat with Capitol Records, had a great feeling with them. Then they asked me to write an album. And all of a sudden, I'm writing an album under Capitol Records that have, like, Nat King Cole and Frank Sinatra. I was just... The, the dream just didn't stop. And so I'm like pinching myself all the time, assuming that at one point I'm going to wake up back at my human resources job. Like, God, I hate no. You know, so I, and it's been like that ever since. But I think, you know, I got to make my debut album called Only Human. I taught it around the world. I've met incredible people, played with incredible people. And then come 2019 was the first time my feet landed on the floor because for the first time in my entire career since that moment, things had come to a natural quiet period where I could take the time to focus on something new. And so when I was going away to write the second album, it was just peace, which I wasn't, I wasn't, I've never had that. So it was weird to write under those circumstances where it was so like tranquil and quiet and I could just concentrate, but it also was more difficult to write because I was just expecting to be swept on my, off my feet and uh, go to Australia for a day. Here's, you know, here's a tour that we're going to support, you know, with Emily Sander. Here's, you know, you're collaborating with this person. You're writing more records. Whereas this one was like, just write the album. Mm. So it kind of forced me out of my comfort zone a little bit, which then enabled me to write songs that I really wanted to write about rather than just being like, oh my God, I'm signed. This is crazy. Mm-hmm. And just, blurting out a load of songs this one was like right i'm an artist now like this isn't just a dream come true anymore this isn't just me like riding the wave of this thing you know it was more like i'm you know i'm an artist and seeing how the music on the first album reacted with people i was like okay well i've definitely got a purpose and and an objective to write music that resonates with people. So I delved even further into my songwriting and into my life and into my emotions. And I've written some of the, the, the in my opinion, the best music I've ever written um, and the most personal as well. You know, for example, the title song Bridges is about a much darker time in my life that I've very rarely spoken about with some of my closest friends, let alone the public. So, you know, this second album has helped develop me and shape me and you know not only as an as a man but as an artist and as a songwriter and as a storyteller and you know an interpreter of music i, I just feel like this is it's forced me to believe in myself a bit more you know and i think you can hear that in the album there's a sense of hope in this album and strength that i don't think was in the first i mean the first is my first album is you know, I'm really, really glad, you know, really proud of it. And I'm really glad that I wrote the songs I did. But this I'm even more, this is yeah, I'm even, yeah, I'm even more proud of the second one because I was able to, to delve even further in. And I was having conversations with myself, like, is this too much? Like, am I, do I, have I put too much of myself into my music? But seeing how songs on the first album, like No Matter What, for example, which was about my LGBTQ plus journey, to see people, to see people say, hearing that song has given me the confidence to come out to my family and I'm happier than I've ever been because of you. That for me is, 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 is the, is, is success. You know, the chart positions are lovely. The plaques are lovely. 
you know, the 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 trophies and the medals and all that kind of stuff that, that you get as part of the industry is all lovely. But hearing somebody say you've changed my life for me is the epitome of, of, of success in this, in this business. And that's all I strive for now. So when I'm putting out a song about, I don't know if I can carry on in life anymore, you know, and telling the story of that in Bridges, you know, if, yes, it's personal. Yes, it's it's touches on a really sensitive talking point. But if the, if one person who's listening to that goes, do you know what? Maybe there is light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Then I've helped that person in the most tragic circumstances. And that to me feels like I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing what I set out to do, which is to help people, you know, and to inspire people, to inspire compassion, you know. So, yeah, I feel like this album, because of those reasons, is 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 one of my proudest achievements. Artists like you who stand for something and are as vulnerable as you've been um, are revolutionary. And will you know, these are the legends of music. Those who like change people's lives, it's not just about putting out a song. You know, it's about being a leader in their communities and that's super commendable. That's very, that's very kind of you to say. Yes, I, I felt that what you said. And we have a game show from our uh, from Jordan. Yes, okay. Okay. Jordan Edwards himself. What was the best meal you ate in the past week? Ooh, what was the best meal I ate in the past week? Um, I was in Australia. I was just saying this to you before we got on. I was in Australia for one day last week. And whilst I was out there, I had this incredible hamburger wrap. It was a, it was like a, <laughs> like a little like deli thing, and it was a it was like a hamburger in a in a tortilla wrap. Incredible. Uh, is that like an Australian thing, or I guess so. I mean, we were on the Gold Coast, and and there were surfers out, and it was just very. It felt very Australian. So maybe sick. All right. <laughs> what was the last TV show you watched all the way through? Ooh, um, the Boys. I don't know if you've ever seen that series on Amazon Prime. It is, <laughs> I mean, I'm a massive Marvel geek. So I love my Marvel films and my Marvel series. I mean, I've watched all of Loki, all of Hawkeye. Those series I've watched all the way through. But The Boys, if you like superheroes and you think, hmm, I wonder what superheroes would be like now in the 21st century with like marketing and social media. Oh, snap. Really? And so, and yeah, and superheroes that aren't necessarily all what they're meant out to be, then what's oh, like, no. it's, it's, it's definitely like PG, like 18 plus, like don't let your kids watch it, but it is shocking, uh, but it's so gripping. You, it's, it's one of those ones where you're just like, what's the next one? What's the next one? It's bingy as hell. So yeah, so if you like superheroes, watch the boys. Okay. Okay. Who was your first celebrity crush? First celebrity crush, and it still is uh, Chris Hemsworth. Oh, really? although I will say, is that Miley's ex-husband. I think. Or is so. it the other? Oh one? no, that's the other Hemsworth brother. That's okay. There's two of them. There's three of them. The, really? I know. So I'm like, when I went to Australia, they asked me this question. I was like, oh, Chris Hemsworth. I was like, oh, Chris Hemsworth's already taken. I was like, well, that's one out of three. There's <laughs> two more. Um. But yeah, I mean, again, I'm Marvel geek, so it's it's written in the stars. But 
not as Thor from the first film because they like bleached his eyebrows and he had long bleached blonde hair. And I was like, no, no, no. So when you see him in, no, no, no. <laughs> when you see him in Thor Ragnarok and he's got short hair and he's got this big scar across his eye, he just mm. looks so, so hot. So yeah, yeah I love a specific time in the, in the, in the Thor films. But yeah, Chris Hemsworth. Okay. What football team do you support? If you I have to say Hull City. I, I mean, bless them, they're not very good. Uh, or they haven't been doing very well, let's say. But I have to say Hull City because that's my town, you know, and I am I have to be a, I have to be Hull So it's, it's Hull City. Although I'm a baseball fan myself. So uh, Red Sox, am I, am I, they're my team. Oh, shout out Red Sox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is the best thing about Yorkshire? You're there right now. So what is it? Best thing. Uh, I mean, we have these things called Yorkshire puddings, which I don't believe you guys have over there. I'll have to make them for you. Like uh, pudding? They're kind of, no, they're kind of, you have them with like a, you'd have them for Thanksgiving. So you have them with a roast dinner. And they're these little um, things that you put in like, um, like, in like, a, like a pastry tray. Mm-hmm. And they're they, these little things that you put in, and then they they rise with the heat, and they turn into these like big, um, like they're really light. It's like a light pastry, and like you put gravy on top of it, and you can put all of your like, you can put all of your like. It's just you need to Google Yorkshire puddings. Let's go, and, right. and then you'll look at it, and you'll be like, "Huh, really good." And it is; it's very tasty. It's the same sort of same same sort of thing as pancakes but risen and and very savory and very great with a roast dinner so that's the next that's the next suggestion from me for thanksgiving make yourself some yorkshire puddings you will not regret it okay thank you for being on the show thank you you were a pleasure so insightful and inspirational and i can't wait for this one to come out and everyone go listen to the new album um listen to the album and make some yorkshire puddings then you've got a little piece of me whilst you listen to my album. <laughs> yes. I thought we were going to have an outro. Okay. Anyways, thank you so much. Man. That was awesome. You were awesome. Thank you very much. Sorry I talk a lot, but. Uh, no, that was, it was great. Good. All right. That was Callum, you guys. So, such an inspirational interview. Um, talking to him made me feel like, you know, artists you know, they do have a responsibility to lead culture and create, you know, create good vibes. And, um, and it was so lovely having him on the show. So look out for the next episode. This was It's Real with Jordan and Demi and see you next time.